0: It's Wired, the Pistons Podcast, presented by Jeep. Here's your host, Matt Derry. And we welcome you to another edition of Wired, indeed, the Pistons Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. As we record and bring it to you on this Wednesday, January 9th, as the Pistons get ready to embark on a four-game West Coast trip, which includes stops in L.A. twice, Lakers and Clippers, Sacramento on Thursday against the Kings, and then Monday night in Utah against the Jazz. My name is Matt Derry, and we are brought to you by our friends at Jeep. Coming up in a little bit here on Wired, the Pistons podcast, we'll be joined by NBA insider and reporter from ESPN, see him all the time on The Jump and Sports Center and the ESPN NBA coverage. Brian Winhurst will be my guest. We'll get Wendy on here and talk all about the Pistons, the league, and what he sees for Detroit moving forward. As you guys well know, and I've told you this, uh, no, no BS for me, the team's not playing very well. They've dropped fourteen of eighteen. Of course, after that big time victory over Golden State last month, since then it has been a rough patch for this basketball team. Now sitting a game out of the playoffs at seventeen and twenty-one in the East, and we, we kind of broke this down in some previous podcasts before here on Wired that there's the the big five in the East. You got Toronto, Milwaukee, Indiana, Boston, and Philly. Then you got the middle five: the Pistons, the Heat, the Nets, the Hornets in Orlando. And then you've got the bottom five. And I say Washington's in that bottom five because John Wall's out for the year. So you got the Wizards, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, and Gulp, 8-33, eight, eight Cleveland. So within that middle five, there are three playoff spots, 6, 7, and 8. And I've talked about this a lot here on the podcast. The Pistons want to make the playoffs. Tom Gorris, Ed Stefanski, Malik Rose, Dwayne Casey, They didn't come here. Well, Tom Gorse has been here, but uh, Ed Stefanski, Malik Rose, Dwayne Casey, they didn't come here to sit outside of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. They came to win. This is not a rebuild. This is not a retool. Some out there believe it should be. And, you know, there's times you watch the Pistons and you watch them this past week and you say, oh, man. Blake Griffin's doing all he can. One night, Reggie Bullock's shooting the ball well. One night, Luke Kennard's shooting the ball well. One night, Reggie Jackson's shooting the ball well. But they're not getting over the hump. And so right now, at 17 and 21, as we record this show, you look up and you say, okay, uh, Detroit trails Charlotte by a game, Brooklyn by a game, and Miami by a game and a half. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. We're talking about early January. We're not even going to get into the end of the regular season until April. So this team must start getting back on track and, and again, must start putting the ball in the basket. There's just been some stretches of games going back to Monday night against San Antonio, and I know they gave up a buck 19, and the defense wasn't very good, and the rotations weren't very good, but there are just these these lulls and these stretches where you watch this team, and they're not able to knock down a jump shot, a deep jump shot. And in this 3-and-D era of the league, or you got guys on the wing that are defenders and guys that are shooting the three. The Pistons don't have enough shooters yet, and we'll ask Brian Winhorst about this. Is there an opportunity for them to go out and add a piece and do it, you know, rather quickly? Because right now, um, you know, this team had a, a really nice win over Memphis that we talked about last week, and then followed it up with two home clunkers against Utah and San Antonio, and gave up. 110 and 119 in the process. So we'll see where, how they respond. Going out to the West Coast sometimes can be a death sentence for some teams. I think for this Pistons team, it may be able to bring them together. You know, the Lakers are beatable right now without LeBron James. Sacramento is Sacramento. Better, but also beatable. The Clippers are pretty darn good. But you know Blake Griffin's going to be riled up this Saturday afternoon against his former team. And then Utah on Monday, a team the Pistons just saw, Detroit had a lead in that game and let it slip away. All right, it's an honor here on WIRED. The Pistons podcast will be joined by Brian Winhorst from ESPN. Of course, has covered the league for many, many years for the four-letter network, and he joins us now. What's up, Brian? How's it going, Matt? Good to talk to you, my friend. Um, you know, Pistons right now heading out west. It's been a struggle over the last few weeks, losers of 14 of 18, what are your thoughts on this squad right now?
1: It's not the best time to be going to the West Coast, um, uh, especially since, um, you know, it's so tightly bunched in the East. Um, you know, I think Blake just had a great season. Uh, he should be an all-star. I don't really think it's much of a debate. Um, and I think a year off that trade, to trade for an all-star, that's hard. Uh, you go out there and... Uh, Look at teams who have tried to do it, it doesn't always work out. Not only that, to get a guy who's in his prime, I mean, he's had injury issues, obviously, but, um, uh, you know, that was, you know, to, to acquire an all star in his prime, and, and he, you know, he's, he's worked out really well for the last year. Unfortunately, it hasn't really led to team success. And that's one thing I'll say about the, what's strange about the Pistons is some of the moves that they make I, I like, but it hasn't worked out collectively like they thought. Um, I thought. Some of the, some of the, uh, personnel moves that, that Stan made, um, in terms of, you know, picking guys up, um, you know, they, they did a really good job on sort of small, uh, transactions, the big transactions they weren't so good on. Um, but they just, you know, they just haven't been able to, uh, to get this group to play well together. Despite the fact that, uh, Drummond and, um, and Blake are all-star level players or borderline all-star level players, depending on the year, that, that, that duo has not turned into a dominating team, even though I like both players. So, um... Uh, you know, they're in a tough, and, and also I, I, like, I really like the Dwayne Casey hire. I mean, you know, that was for the Pistons in the situation that they were in to be able to land a coach of Casey's stature. And I mean, they had to pay for it. They gave him a really good contract. I mean, there's no doubt that he was incentivized to do it, but you know, I know Dwayne Casey. I know how he was thinking about uh, this season. I don't think he was, you know, super anxious to coach. He had a, a, a contract that was going to pay him. A uh, really good money not to coach, and um, to go really into the weeds. He he lives in Washington State in the off season, and um, when you live in Washington State, there's no state income tax, and so he could have made way more money just sitting in Toronto or sitting out and getting paid by Toronto in a no income tax state, and been very happy. And the Pistons were able to talk him into taking their job, and I think that was a huge win for Tom Gorse and Ed Stefanski. And so I, you know, I, I like those things, but it just hasn't resulted in positive, uh, you know, that many positive moments on the court.
0: When you, when you watch the games, when you watch the team, like you said, Blake Griffin is just playing his his butt off and, and has been unbelievable so far this year. And touching the ball, you know, pretty much every possession, everything's running through right. him. It's
1: Pretty innovative, not innovative, like not, not we've never seen it before, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty good use for Blake Griffin. as a pretty good job to maximize his talents for sure.
0: Sure. So, does so that leave it where the guards have been the disappointment, or, or how do you look at that?
1: I just, I've never been a Reggie Jackson fan. Um, I, I didn't. I mean, the trade that they made you know I can't remember all the aspects of it. I know like one of the pieces was Kyle Singler um but I remember thinking that it was a great trade um for uh for the Pistons in terms of what they sent out and what they what they gave uh or you know what they got back but I just didn't love them I, I never saw him as a you know elite level point guard and i was just you know one of the things that stan decided to do and in in banking on him and giving him that contract i just felt it was suspect from day one now if he were here he would probably say well i've had all these injuries and you know the knee and the ankle and and i really you know it's it's more because of that than anything and um you know i look at um, I, I, you know, I, I, when I, I watched him in Oklahoma City, I, I used to cover quite a few Oklahoma City games when he was there, and he was a, you know, there were there were certain games where he was just amazing, but he was very inconsistent. In right. fact, I remember there was one game he played in the playoffs um, where uh, they were in Memphis and and they were down two one in the series. And it was when, this is when KD and Russ were healthy. I think it was a year off the finals or two years off the finals. And he, they were going to go down 3-1 and he played an absolutely Jaw-dropping game in Memphis in Game Four of a playoff series. One of the most remarkable games by a bench player I had ever seen in the playoffs. And if you watched that game, you would be a hundred percent convinced that Reggie was going to be a star in this league. But then, when you would watch him play other games, he would totally vanish. And when you're the, you know, when you're the third guard, you can get away with games. Where, you know, if you one out of every three games you play, you go two of 15 or you go, you know, six of, of uh, 17 or something. You can get away with that because you're not as relied on. And I just didn't feel that he had the consistency as a guard. I think at the top end, when he plays his best, he's awesome, but he doesn't, he's never in my mind had that consistency. And I felt like when they invested in him at that level, they invested in him as the guy who was going to do it every night. And, you know, for example, I think Reggie, you know, just just use an example, I think Reggie Jackson probably pound for pound is more talented than a guy like Jeff Teague. But Jeff Teague is, you know, maybe not this year per se, he's been in and out, but you look at Jeff Teague's career, he's a lot more consistent player than Reggie Jackson. Um, And so if you would ask me who would I rather have to to have my team, Jeff Teague's been an all-star too, but, you know, I would rather have a guy who can do it every night. And so... When they made that choice, they kind of locked themselves in. And because of the contract, he hasn't really been uh, movable. And that's just a a really big gamble that hasn't paid off for them. And, And again, if you're a Reggie Jackson fan, you can point to these games out there. Well, what about this game? What about this game? What about this game? And you'd be right. But night in and night out in the NBA, you need steady guard play. You don't always have to have dominating guard play. You need steady guard play, and in, and in, at least in today's day and age, you need a guy who can, you know, be a respectable three point shooter, and that's just not what he's been able to do.
0: Brian Winhurst with me from uh, ESPN. You'll see him on outside the lines uh, today here on this Wednesday where we record this podcast. La Pistons, someone said Lions. Pistons going out west here for four. Starting with Wednesday night's game against the Lakers, you know, you see a guy like Stanley Johnson, and I don't remember if you were in the building or not a few years ago, and the Pistons were in Cleveland, and Stanley Johnson was, was trash-talking and talking about locking up yeah. LeBron and all that. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on him and, and where he fits and, and how much he's maybe an X-factor from, from here going forward?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I remember his rookie year, I'm pretty sure they played the Cavs in the playoffs, right. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And um he really kind of announced himself in that series. And I was impressed by um his you know, his brashness. I was impressed by his, his his confidence. But again, we go back to consistency here. He has not been able to be a consistent player. And again, there are there are nights when you when you watch him and you go, Boy, this guy is you know major talent and you see why he, I think he was with the 8th pick in the draft or something like that correct you you totally see it um but he's not able to do it consistently and by the way if you go look at the, the you know the history of the 8th pick in the draft especially um what was Luke Kennard picked uh, after
0: that, was the, after uh, that? Okay. but if you look the at the, if you look
1: at the if you look at the history of the 8th pick especially it's a confounding uh selection um i think uh the last number eight pick to be an all-star and I'm doing this off the top of my head because I researched this uh, about a year ago was Detlef Schrempf uh, with the with the Supersonics back in the 90s Um, number eight seems to be the make-break point in where the lottery turns Um, and (laughs) you know Stanley Johnson's kind of like a quintessential number eight pick very tantalizing, but, you know, hasn't been able to step up. And really, you know, what, you know, with where the Pistons were as they, you know, as they transitioned uh from that era where they, you know, they had five coaches in seven years um and, you know, they I think they had six straight losing seasons. And when they transitioned to Stan, uh, you know, Stan, you know, went out and, you know, aggressively brought in, Players, I mean, they they were active in free agency. Obviously, they made the big trade with um, with uh, with Blake, but they really needed to be able to hit in the in the draft. And I can totally see why they were excited about stanley and i think they left I don't, I don't remember at the time if it came down to stanley it or was, booker, it, it, was
0: booker. St- yeah, it was stanley johnson justice winslow they liked Hazonia, but he went before them and then uh, devin booker you're right so it was yeah, those so, those four were the were then were in the mix at the time yeah
1: so like but like i can't sit here and say to you like oh man they, how could they not have gone with booker because there was a lot of excitement about johnson coming out and there was a reason for them to be but you know that that's the thing like um when you, you know, we know when you don't have a super high pick, or when you, um, you know, are, are sort of under pressure to perform right away, you really need to, to nail that pick, and it's one of the reasons why um, the sort of rebuild strategy through the draft is so is so risky, because um, you get these players that are taken. Um, you know, in this, you know, sort of the, the back end of the lottery. And it's just so hit and miss. Yeah, you can, you can get Giannis Tenacumbo, you can get, uh, Booker, you can, you can get Jonathan Mitchell. Um, but you can also totally miss. And I, I look at, I think this year's number eight pick is, um, is Colin Sexton in Cleveland. And, you know, you would look at Colin Sexton and say, man, this guy, there are times when you're blown away. Uh, by some of the things he's out on the court and you love his makeup and everything. And then there are other times you're like, Oh my God, this guy will never make it. And, you know, neither answer is right, but, you know, that's the kind of player that Stanley Johnson is. And he just hasn't been able to do it consistently. And, um, you know, had he been uh, the type of guy who, was delivering at a high level let's just think how different the pistons would be i mean it's the thing about the draft mat is it's so crazy it's literally probably been a billion dollars over the years spent by teams trying to scout trying to analyze trying to come up with systems and identifications and brain typing and they do medicals and they hire private detectives like if it's if it has been dreamed up it has been done by teams to try to figure out draft picks because what you do on draft night in a lot of ways defines your franchise sure but there's still such a margin for error and even the people who are the best at it you know mess up and you know Stanley Johnson is one of those guys I mean you could have gotten you know, five scouts in a room, and you could have gotten three of them to tell you this guy's gonna, you know, be a, a five time all star, borderline Hall of Fame guy. <laughs> and you have other, and you have other guys saying he, you know, he's got A, B, C, D, E, F, G holes in his game. And I'm telling you, you could get any five guys in the league, and, and it could go either way. And there's really no way that you can always do it. And, and I'm being long winded here. I apologize. But it's just, it was it's one of those things that's confounding. He's a classic example of that.
0: It's a podcast. We could go all day, you and me, Brian. <laughs> now, Brian Winhurst from ESPN. It, you know, it's interesting because I was at the uh, Eastern Michigan Buffalo game last week, and you're right, 13 NBA scouts there. And at the half, the guys that I knew that were there, Walt Perrin and uh, Doug from the Pistons, a bunch of guys were there, and I asked them each what they thought of the first half, and each of them had a, a player that they liked, and that was just you know out of picking random of five guys. But you look at the draft, and that brings up my next question to you is, all right, so you got five elite teams in the East, five then next-tier teams in the East, and then five kind of bottom teams. It's kind of how the 15 uh, shakes right. out in the East. That's right. So if you're the Pistons, what, what do you do? What do you do if you're Ed Stefanski about – all right, we're a game out of the playoffs. Anytime the Pistons get to the lottery, they never win it. I mean, going back to Joe, going back to Joe D., the ping-pong balls never bounce their way. So what, what should be the approach?
1: Well, I would just point out that um, sort of the anti-process, both the Denver Nuggets, who are the number one team in the West right now, and the, um, uh, and the Warriors built themselves about having a pick higher than number seven. Uh, Steph Curry was taken number seven uh, I think Jamal Murray was taken number seven uh, the, the Nuggets did have Emmanuel who That took fourth but they traded him um, It can be done Without um, But you gotta get so lucky You know uh, the, the Warriors liked Draymond Green But let's be honest nobody knew he was going to be this good The Nuggets liked um, uh, Jokic but you know n- n- Nobody thought he'd be this good you know, Not even them so you have to get lucky, but it can be done. But what I know about the Pistons, what I know about Tom Gore, is he really wants to make the playoffs. And also, uh, the Pistons are actively calling around, trying to trade for talent. Um, they want to make the playoffs. I, I don't think that they want to be, um, you know, dancing around there in the, you know thirteenth, fourteenth, wherever their pick was last year that they sent to the Clippers, thirteenth or fourteenth or whatever it was, twelfth, um, whatever it was. Um, they don't want that. They uh, they want to make it, and even if they make it and get and get knocked around, I think there is a value in it. And um, beyond debating the merits of of you know you know being a forty three win or a forty one win playoff team, uh, I can just tell you that the the organizations from everything that I know, and I'm sure you know this too. They want to make the playoffs. So I, I would if you know I would expect if I was a Pistons fan. I would be encouraged and expect my team to intend to, to improve themselves. Uh, how much can they improve themselves? What assets do they do they genuinely have that they can trade? I mean, that's you know that's debatable. Right? Um, you know, they have their first round pick this year, and if you have your first round pick this year. Um, you know and you're willing to trade it you can definitely upgrade whether or not that's you know, a sensible trade or not is uh, some of the debate we could have the rest of the day but uh, my feel is that the Pistons absolutely uh, you know want to want to make the playoffs
0: you said they're calling around looking for uh, for talent right now and, and, and trying to upgrade what what moves can they make and would they ever consider trading you know andre Drummond?
1: Well, Andre is, is has been available on and off over the last couple of years, and it's not because I don't think they like him. I just think that, um, you know, the league, you know, where the league is right now, and, you know, he's got a deficiency or two in his game. Um, you know they would they'd like to retrofit their team a little bit or at least they've they've considered retrofitting their team in the past I don't want to say he's available right now because I have not heard that but there have been times when Andre, Andre Drummond was very available but um I just don't think there's a heck of a lot of interest you know right now there's a couple of centers out who are available out there and there's just no action on them you know um and the other thing that's going on that is that if you look at the west you have eight teams right now that are over 500 you know in the playoffs and then you look at spots like 9 through uh, 13 or even 14 because the pelicans are still hoping um they're all very bunched together And so none of those teams have given up on making the playoffs. So the problem you have here is you have a lot of teams looking to buy. Like the Kings are out there looking to acquire players. The Pelicans are out there looking to acquire players. Um, The Nets are out there looking to acquire players. Obviously the Pistons are out there, uh, one of the most active teams in trying to. The Magic um, are a team that is uh, debating trying to make a trade to upgrade uh, their team you have a lot of buyers. Where are the sellers? Um, The Jazz have already made a a, a deal uh, to upgrade their team. You know, where are the sellers? You know, you've got the Cleveland Cavs. Um, Well, they've kind of already been picked clean a little bit. I don't know what you see there that you'd like. Uh, I don't know if, you know, getting Rodney Hood changes everything. I I wouldn't say that. Um, the, the, The Suns have already... You know, bought out a guy and and traded one of their you know assets. Um, The the, the, you know, I I just don't see where the sellers are. Um, The Hornets are kind of a seller, but I don't see a whole lot there that you're interested in. So, you know, does you know, in the next three weeks as we get near the deadline, are there some teams that go on losing streaks? Um, You know, uh, you know, one team for example is the Dallas Mavericks. You know, they're a borderline team. Are they really going to make the playoffs this year? I don't know. Um, They have a bunch of guys on expiring contracts. That's a team that could turn itself into a seller, and all of a sudden, you know, DeAndre Jordan is available or Harrison Barnes is available or something like that. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. has been rumored to be potentially available. Um, You know, so that's a team. But I just don't see where the sellers are. And so, you know, when I talk to front offices this week, they say they don't expect a lot of action. But I will tell you from experience that what somebody says three weeks out from the deadline, what actually happens to the deadline, a lot of times aren't connected. But as we sit here right now, um, because of the buyer-seller disparity, I, I just I, I don't at this moment see a lot of action happening, and I think that's that makes it's going to make it tougher for the Pistons, especially if you have to, you know, if there are a few players available that it's going to turn into maybe a bidding war and i don't know if the pistons can win one
0: when we talk brian about that middle tier uh middle tier five in the east miami currently six brooklyn currently seven charlotte eight pistons nine and orlando ten all right so there's three playoff spots for five teams if you and i were to talk at the end of the year we, would we be talking about the pistons being in the playoffs how, how do you size that up that race there
1: i certainly expected them to to, to get in this year um I I thought that Dwayne Casey-Hire was so good. But I would also say that, you know, if you go back and look at what happened with Dwayne in in Toronto – they didn't make the playoffs the first year. I don't even know, if, you know, off the top of my head, I don't even know if they made the playoffs the second
0: year. Yeah, first two years they were out, I think.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, knowing Dwayne the way I do, I don't think he would have come in and said, I'm, I'm going to get you into the playoffs the first year. I don't think he would have guaranteed it. I think he would have liked to develop it a little bit. So, um, regardless of whether they finish eighth or ninth, I, 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 the, the KC hire... I'm very bullish on, and I love the way Blake Griffin is playing. Those are two things that I can say are like, are are something to be excited about. Um, And so, either way, whether they finish eighth or ninth, I think those two things have the organization going in the right direction. It's really going to be on Ed Stefanski and his staff to retrofit this roster, whether it's at this deadline or it's over the summer or whatever, to take this team and make them a a more legitimate uh, bona fide team where you don't have to ask whether or not in the playoffs. And I'm sure he's got a plan. I don't know what that plan is, but that is where things are going to have to improve. And and part of it is some of the contracts that they signed, uh, you know, they weren't all great. Um, Those coming off the books and giving the team some flexibility uh, would be helpful, too.
0: And what about with this coming draft and obviously the Zion sweepstakes and everything else? We know the teams that are already giving up. Um, Do you view this upcoming draft and say, all right, maybe the Pistons sitting at ninth now? And like you said before, the lottery ball has never bounced for them. But how do you view where some of these teams are and and what this draft coming up looks like?
1: That's another reason why I think you go for the playoffs if you're the Pistons because in talking to executives about this draft – um, they say it's, it's very top heavy. There's a cup, you know, there's a handful of delicious opera options in the top five and then it goes, you know, I don't know where the cutoff is, but it goes downhill very precipitously. In fact, I was just calling around this week asking people about, uh, Bull Bull. He's the son of Manu Bull. Um, back in right. your, your, your prime days. That uh, when you <laughs> when Manute was dominating the league from three point range, um, but Manupal's son, who was at, was at was a freshman at Oregon, he was sweet. Um, yeah, he was having a great year and uh, broke his foot, the navicular bone, which is like that was the bone that ended Yao Ming's career. Now other big men have gotten over it. Uh, Joel Embiid, although Joel Embiid broke it twice and had to have two surgeries. Um, but anyway, when, when you hear that you a know, big man breaks his navicular bone, it's, uh, it's 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 a chilling effect. So I called around and asked what his draft status was. And some of the teams were saying to me that the draft is so top-heavy. And he's such an interesting prospect that they don't think he'll fall very far. Because even though you're potentially drafting a risk, um, there's just not that many players with more upside who are behind him who, who will leapfrog him and so a lot so you know i talked to i think six teams and i think four of them told me that they thought he'd still be a top 10 pick the other two thought he wouldn't and this is again all these guys are really smart highly paid very experienced what have you and you know the draft is just different but um the point in all of that and me telling that story is that if you're sitting there and thinking that you could end up with a 12th or 13th pick uh or you could go for it make the playoffs and and roll the dice and see if you can catch some lightning in a bottle, or you know, create some momentum into next year. I would, I would go for the playoffs because the difference between uh, having the 12th or 13th pick and having the 16th or 17th pick, especially in this draft, it may be non-existent. You know, you may be just as likely to get a player at 23 than you as you are at 12 in this particular draft.
0: Final thing for Brian Winhurst from ESPN. All right, uh, crystal ball time. Who, who's playing in the finals uh, in June? What do you think right now?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I think you, you have to be crazy not to pick the Warriors. Um, you know, the East is uh, is really interesting. Uh, in a way, uh, LeBron did the league a favor by going to the West because he's opened the East up wide. Um, and this is one of the things that I've been talking to the teams about you know uh, you know i've covered matt i've covered the raptors extensively over the last three or four years and um i feel like we've been here before asking in january whether the raptors are for real now obviously they have different personnel um and there's a couple of guys who came into the team who have rings who have dealt with playoff pressure and uh, even danny green has already made a couple of differences in some games for them this year. And, and, you know, just their game last night against Atlanta. I know Atlanta is not a good team, but, um, they had a lot of poise in finishing that game off. And Kawhi had six steals and he, he had like two steals and a block in the last two minutes that turned the game around. So I can see all this evidence of why the Raptors are different this year and that this will be the year where the number one seed will actually follow through and do it. Um, but I'm just still tentative on them. And, you know, but I, I can see flaws with all the East contenders. You know, I, I, you know, Milwaukee can't shoot, uh, which makes, you know, Giannis susceptible. Uh, in the postseason when you set your defense against him, as great as he is. um, Boston is all over the place. I have no idea what Gordon Hayward is going to be or Jalen Brown. If they're at the top of their games, I mean, they could win the title this year, but they haven't been at the top of their games. I have no idea whether they will be at the top of their games. Um, And then Philadelphia, it's been uh, very traumatic last nine months for them. Uh, And, you know, Embiid is a guy who Sometimes you have trouble playing at the end of playoff games because he's, uh, he can, you can stretch the floor and, and take advantage of him. Um, and Jimmy Butler has been up and down there and Ben Simmons can't shoot. I mean, um, it's, they have all kinds of flaws and <clears throat> they might have no idea what's going to happen with Markel Fultz. I'm certainly not expecting him to be a difference maker, but you know, so. I have no idea what's going to happen in these. I, I guess I would default if you pinned me down on it. I would probably say Toronto, but I don't feel good about it. And I think that's good for the league. I think it's good to have new blood, and I'm hoping for really good playoff series. And, and here's the other thing. Like, because all of those teams have flaws, they're susceptible. I mean, the Celtics, yes, Kyrie uh, was injured and Gehauer was injured, but the Celtics almost got beat in the first round last year. It's a seven-game series, and they they could have lost a couple of the games that they won in that series. Um, I certainly don't think that the 76ers are, are they're, they're going to have a first-round challenge. So um, I, I think the East is completely wide open. And, again, another reason why, if you're the Pistons, you're saying to yourself, if we could just recapture what we had early in the season, if we could just make a move, they could catch lightning in a bottle. We could do something here. And, I and, you know, I think that's something that every team in their position would say, but I think in this particular set of circumstances, that it's not unreasonable for them to think that way.
0: Ryan, always great to talk and uh, catch up, my friend. We'll do it again, all right?
1: Thanks, Matt. Take care.
0: Brian Winhurst of ESPN. Very, very interesting comments from Brian about the state of the Pistons for sure. You heard him earlier in the uh, interview right there. He believes the Pistons are going to be buyers. He's talking to people around the league that says the Pistons are looking to add, not subtract. So, just like we talked about before. And I think, you know, Brian's as is, is locked in and as tuned in as anybody when it comes to national writers and insiders around the league. Pistons are making phone calls. They're, they're looking to get better this season. And I think that's a directive from the very, very top. Uh, and we'll see if it comes to fruition. That's Wired, the Pistons podcast for another week. Thanks to Brian Winhorse for joining me. We're brought to you by Jeep. We'll talk to you again next week, everybody. Have a great rest of your week and go Pistons.